Hey there, Hilton Head Allen Community Church. Good morning. I'm glad that you're here today. This week, the Cullen family found out that we were exposed to COVID-19. And so we are currently in quarantine. And I'm really glad, though, that we are able through technology to be able to do this this morning. And I'm glad that we are able to, I'm able to bring this message to you and be with you, even though I can't be with you. And so I want to thank you guys so much for being a part of today here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. I want to thank those of you who are here in the house, in this room this morning. Thank you for joining. For those of you that are watching back on the backstage patio, guys, thanks so much for being a part of our brand new venue here on site and outside. Thank you guys for that. And for those of you who are watching, whether live or sometime down the road from home or wherever you are, thank you so much for being a part of Hilton Head Island Community Church today and being a part of it this morning. I want you to remember the first time that you ever had a major disagreement with someone important in your life. Uh, Maybe it was a friend or a parent or maybe it was a sibling or maybe it was a coworker or a friend from school. I want you to remember the first time that you had a major disagreement. Now, I'm not talking about a disagreement over something like, um, where are we going to go for lunch today? Or what car are we going to use to get there? Or, you know, hey, who paid the water bill this month? I paid it, you paid it. No, no, it didn't get paid. I'm talking about substantive, real, important issues that you hit heads with someone else about. I want you to remember that time and more importantly, I want you to remember maybe a little bit of that first time that you had a major disagreement with someone close to you in your life. I want you to remember what you were thinking. I want you to remember what you were feeling at that time. The very first time I remember having like major conflict with someone in my life was, of course, my parents. Now, I grew up in a home where um, we kept things pretty civil. Uh, we didn't disagree much. I, I, for the most part, growing up, um, was a kid that didn't push the boundaries too much. Uh, there would be some occasional disagreements on minor things. But I remember coming home um, my freshman year of college. I, first time I came home, a couple months into being in college, And I remember having a discussion with my parents over uh, an issue that had to do with the Christian faith, and it had to do with uh, what we believe about God's sovereignty versus free will. And we kind of just naturally got into that discussion, and it ended up that um, we had some some pretty major disagreements, uh, which was maybe a little bit unusual. And as we do in the Cullen household, we talked about things and we ended up just kind of moving on and I guess agreeing to disagree. And, and what's important in this is really not, uh, not really what the issue was or what we were disagreeing about. What's important is I can remember with vivid clarity exactly what I was thinking that day. I remember sitting on the the edge of the fireplace talking to my mom and dad, and I remember that red fireplace and the 1980s wood panel living room that we had. I think a lot of people had that back then. I remember every detail about it, but I also remember what I was thinking. I was thinking, I'm right and you're wrong. I was thinking that I'm right and you're wrong. And I was armed with something. I had an arsenal of things that just a few months before I didn't have. I was armed with independence 
and I was armed with experience, and I was armed with knowledge. And I remember thinking, I'm right, and you're wrong about this issue. Now, I didn't maybe express it that way, but I remember walking back up the stairs after that conversation going, I won that argument. I won that argument. I'm right, and you are wrong. I think that with my parents and in our growing up, if we didn't have Jesus, if we had not had him to center us, and if we didn't understand that unity was something that we needed to pursue, little arguments like that could have turned into big things in our family. And unfortunately, that's what's happened in the church many times over the course in the history of the church. A group of people will kind of get together armed with knowledge and maybe some independence and experience, and they will say, I am right, you are wrong. It happens in the church, it happens in society, it happens in culture, and it happens all the time. Now, last week, we began this series called Different, where we're taking a look at how God created us as different people with uniquenesses. He created us to be different, to look different, to have different personality and different temperaments. And because of that, we are going to have different opinions. You see, God's creation that is so different from one person to the next means that there are going to be times when we have different opinions from other people. And there's nothing wrong with having different opinions in a family, even in a marriage, among kids, among siblings, in a classroom, even in a work environment. There's nothing wrong with having different opinions. But the problem is, is that sometimes um, our differences lead to disagreements, which ultimately lead to division. See, our disagreements and our our, our differences lead to disagreements, which ultimately, left unchecked, lead to division. Last week, we, we left our discussion of how we're created in God's image and we're created so differently and uniquely. We left with the words from the Apostle Paul where he tells us that part of the job of the church is to, in fact, pursue unity. That's part of our calling, that's part of our mission, that's a little bit of what we are supposed to do. And the word that the Apostle Paul uses when he uses this word uh, division is a Greek word that we get the word schism from. Now, some of you know what the word schism means. It means that unity has been changed into division or that unity has literally been broken in half that unity has been changed, that there used to be unity and now there is not. Now there is division. And it's interesting in the history of the church, there have been some pretty major differences along the way. And some of those have to do with the Bible itself and what we believe about the Bible. And some of it has to do with politics and some of it has to do with what's going on culturally in the world or how we apply the Bible or what version of the Bible and a thousand different things. One of the great schisms in the church is why today we have a Catholic church and an Orthodox church and a Protestant church under the larger umbrella of Christianity. There have been, though, in addition to some of the major schisms and divisions in the church, there have been thousands of different divisions over really senseless issues in the church. 
And in some ways, the church is following the world in being divided. So that schism is a break in unity, and it's something that Paul tells us that we as Christ followers, we as people who represent Jesus, are supposed to stand up against and avoid. Um, If I'm really honest with you, I believe that today the church is on the edge of a huge divide, a huge break in the unity that we're supposed to be under in Christ. It's a break that um, I fear may be um, incredibly important. It may be consequential. There may be massive consequences and implications to the break in unity that the church has today. There's a lot of reasons why we may have this beyond the brink of, of some kind of schism, of some kind of break in the unity. There's a lot of reasons why that may be, in fact, the case. It could be that, um, you know, we're allowing the political world that is so divided to be the thing that we are seeking after, and that's a whole message for another day. It could be that we're allowing, as I mentioned last week, the results and the consequences of something like COVID-19 to divide us. It could be the color of the carpet in another church. It could be the lifestyle that we see around us in others. It could be simply that we're allowing these disagreements to turn into divisions. And that's where I want to land today is when we have this idea that we are right and someone else is wrong, we have to be careful because we're warring against something that is so powerful and the evil one can use to massively divide the church. Last week, we talked about how um, we as Christ followers, when we're unified, it's an amazing thing because when we're unified, we are together for the health of the capital C church. We are together and when we are unified, we are for the mission of the church. And so last week's message was really a challenge for us to understand that differences can lead to division and that we're called to unity and that unity is one of the goals of the church, but it's very easy to get pulled in by the world and by each other to being divided. I said last week that in many ways, we're following the world right off the cliff of division and we as a church need to stop and we need to be part of what changes culture, but not just for culture's sake, for the sake of the kingdom of God. Today, I want to talk about what it means in our life to have an overwhelming message of Jesus Christ and him alone, and what happens when that gets muddied, when that message gets muddied because of the division that we have. As Christ followers, it's time for us to seriously take stock of our own individual rhetoric that we have, that if left unchecked, it can get in the way of the mission that we're on. If left unchecked, it can take away from the message that Jesus gave us the instructions to share. I also mentioned last week that the church is really known, uh, has been for generations, more for what we're against than what we're for. And if you mix that with every single study that we've seen, even before COVID-19, that the church is in decline of people being involved in the church and being reached by the church, we have to wake up and realize that for the sake of the next generation, as Justin, Justin preached about a few weeks ago, that we have a job to stop 
and evaluate what message is our life communicating to the world and to each other. I think that the church is on the verge of just standing all the time and just yelling at each other and yelling at the world, I'm right and you're wrong. And when we do that, the world sees us pointing our fingers at each other and then they see us turn around and point our fingers at them and say, I'm right and you're wrong. And the problem with that comes when that's the only message that they hear. They're gonna think that that's the only Jesus that there is. We need to show them who Jesus is and that begins when we put down our fingers, when we put down the sticks that we have to try to beat someone else up with and to point out their problems and to point out their failures and to criticize. Just like when I came home my freshman year in college armed with this independence and experience and knowledge, we Christians are sometimes armed with what we have to be right about and arrogance. We're armed with why we must judge and the fact that we should judge the behavior of everyone around us and that we must be opinionated about every issue. It is our arrogance and our judgment and our opinions that we need to bring into check. Our arrogance and our judgment and our opinions can diminish the mission that God has for our lives. It can distort the great and important message that God gave us to share and it can destroy the moments that God provides for each one of us as we live our lives. The Apostle Paul speaks to the church in Romans, Rome. Actually, he writes a message to the church in Rome. And he's writing this message to the church in Rome, but he's really writing it to believers everywhere. And he's writing to believers at different times, including to us today. He writes a message and he addresses a couple issues that he sees that are being raised in the church that has the potential to divide the church. You see, in the church in Rome, there was a group of people who, and in fact, in the church in general, the first century, there were a group of people, we'll call them conservatives, that were saying that they needed to abide perfectly to the Old Testament law, which told them that they needed to abstain from certain meals and certain foods. Then there was a group of people, we'll call them the liberals, that were saying, no, there's freedom and we can eat whatever we want because Jesus has come to complete the law. And Paul saw this as a potentially divisive issue. And he saw it as something that could possibly bring a schism into the church. And so he referenced it in what we're about ready to look at. He also referenced this rise of this disagreement among people in terms of what day is set aside to be holy. And moving beyond the issue, what I want you to hear today is, is not necessarily the discussion of those specific issues, but I want you to see the spirit that Paul says that we ought to have when we do have disagreements with each other. Let's check out Romans chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 1 through verse 12. He says this, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. He says one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Look at verse three, I love this. He says, let not the one who eats despise the one 
who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you, he goes on to say, to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. He goes on to say this in in verse five. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all the days alike. Each one should Be fully convinced in his own mind. He's saying that we shouldn't ignore our opinions. But he says this in verse six, the one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God while the other one abstains. He abstains also in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. God and look at verse seven. For no, none of us, uh, none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Look at verse 10. This is so interesting. He comes back to the same theme that he mentions in verse three. Uh, And again, uh, he mentions it here in verse 10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give account of himself to God. I think it's so incredibly interesting that he uses these phrases, don't pass judgment and don't despise. See, this is what we do in this culture, in in our culture nowadays. We do the same thing that they were dealing with uh, 2,000 years or more uh, ago. The issues are different, but our response is much the same. Those who have a more restrictive approach to their Christianity and want others to as well, pass judgment. Those who have the approach of more freedom in terms of their faith walk, they despise the one who is telling them what to do. And Paul doesn't single out one or the other. He singles out both. Because in both, they're going down a path that those disagreements are about ready to lead to a division, to a schism in the church. Because both sides are pointing their fingers at each other going, I'm right and you are wrong. And church, I think there's a lot that we can learn here today. We have those inside the church who say, you know what, this is the way it should be, whether it's politics or lifestyle or whether it's what uh, you know, we believe about certain issues or whether it's who we're following or what kind of church we should be a part of. We think we're, we're, we're opinionated and that our opinion is better than the next person's. And then we point fingers and we judge. We point fingers at each other, like in a household where siblings have a rivalry that gets out of control and all of a sudden there's infighting within the family and they point their fingers at each other and they point out all the things wrong and they judge 
we can become very, very steeped in our own opinion, not God's thoughts and not God's word, but our own opinions about the way that things should be. And unfortunately, Christians are more more known for our opinion in this day and age than we are for who we represent, and that's Jesus. See, I want you to hear a couple things today, Christ follower. And some of this, I realize this may be jarring for you. It may be surprising to you. But I want you to hear today that we do not have to be right about everything. Just one thing. We don't have to be right about everything, church. We just have to be right about one thing. And that's Jesus. We don't have to, to, to stand up and scream to the world in this loud voice that this is the way it should be. Yes, there are biblical principles. Yes, there are values. And we're going to be talking about those in coming weeks, especially next week, that we should point to. But when we stand on our own opinion, our own thoughts, our own thinking of the way it should be, we need to be reminded that there's only one thing that we absolutely have to be right about. And that is as God sent his son to die for the world. We don't have to be right about everything. Just one thing. We don't have to judge everyone. We just need to judge ourselves. We don't need to judge everyone. We just need to judge ourselves. Someone pointed out to me not too long ago that when we have our finger pointing at someone else, there are four fingers pointing back at us. Far too few Christ followers before they point the finger at someone else will stop and take a look in the mirror and evaluate where they are. We don't have to judge everyone, just ourselves. And we don't have to share our opinion about every issue. We just are called and have to share it about one issue. And that is the hope of the world. God's son, Jesus, and the way for salvation. Unless you think this is just something that Paul wrote and that Jesus had a whole different story, I want you to check out Matthew chapter seven where he talks about judging others and he says this, and I love this. Judge not that you be judged. For with judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. I want you to hear that again. For with judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Jesus is essentially saying, be careful how you judge. In fact, don't judge. That's up to him. Verse three, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? obviously uh, hyperbole here that Jesus is using a metaphor that's kind of a ridiculous metaphor, but it would have been so funny to them. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your own eye. And then he says this, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He says, don't give to the dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And what Jesus is saying there in that last verse in verse six is don't take these things that I have called you to 
and just use them to judge other people because essentially what you're doing is you're taking something incredibly valuable and holy and you're just throwing it away to the dogs and to the pigs. You see, church, the world sees the stick. They see us with a stick. They see us walking around with a stick. They see us using the stick to point out in others what's wrong and to point the finger at what's wrong. Years ago in the church, there actually was someone who would walk around in the middle of the church service, and they had a literally some, a stick that would poke people who have fallen asleep to wake them up. Can you imagine what that would be like today? Uh, we'd have lawsuits. It would not be good. We can't do that, right? But there was a judgmental attitude there. There was an opinion attitude. There was a thought that I'm right, you are wrong. And the world right now doesn't see Jesus. They see the stick that is pointing out everything wrong in their lives and in the world. And church, that needs to change. I heard a quote just the other day. I couldn't find who said it. But they said, Christianity is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to get the bread. You see, instead of opinion, instead of judgment, instead of being right about everything in the world, what the world needs to hear in our life's message is humility and it's grace. And as we'll get to next week, it's the message that Jesus communicated and that is a message of love. How then do we be faithful to following God, to following his principles, but not allow our arrogance and judgment and opinion overshadow the mission and the method and the moment that God has given us? I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to evaluate the overwhelming and primary message of your life. That's what we need to do. We've got to take a moment and evaluate what is the overwhelming and primary message of my life. Last week, we talked about mission and what mission are we on? Are we on a mission to, to highlight those things that divide us, where we're different, how God created us and say that we're better than someone else? But today, our discussion centers around what is our message? What is the message of your life? And I want you to answer some of these questions. Just you and God, or maybe somebody if you're at home who's with you, what message is the world hearing from you? What overwhelming message is the world hearing from you? Are they hearing that they're wrong and you're right? Are others hearing that you're right and they're wrong? What are you known for? What is your life known for? What is the, the general message when you interact with people, when you interact with the world, other Christians, coworkers, friends at school, your family? What are you known for? That's a tough one. What message does your social media communicate? I know, ouch. <laughs> this one's tough. Because I think the world looks at Christian social media and they look at the church's social media and they... They, they don't see the message of Jesus. For the overwhelming majority today of the church, they don't see it. But what about yours? What about mine? What message does your social media communicate? When people come to you in crisis, what do you say? Do you beat them up? Do you grab the stick? Or do you point them to Jesus 
It was the hope of their situation and the hope of the world. See, I think it's time for us to stop and make a personal evaluation of the message that our lives are communicating. Imagine a world in which the church, whether it's Hilton Head Island Community Church or the church, capital C Church, Christ Church, the message that they're hearing is just Jesus and just Jesus crucified. That would be an amazing day. The world would be pointed to the one who has the hope for all of the issues of life and has the hope for eternity. I think sometimes we get caught up in such discussion and we allow ourselves and our mission and our message of our life to major on the minors. We really end up focusing on what may be good and valuable, but really not important. What message is your life communicating? I recently had a friend text me um, this message that we can right now in today's day and age, we can either be critical enforcers or we can be compassionate encouragers. And I got to tell you, I believe that the world needs to see a Jesus whose followers are compassionate encouragers more now than ever before. You know, I think Paul actually might have had some tension in his own life on this. I think he might have had intent, uh, uh, tension that was built into how he communicated with others, how he talked to others, how he dealt with them in crisis, the words that he penned, his social media. I'm just kidding, Paul didn't have social media back in the first century, but I think he struggled with this. And in 1 Corinthians chapter two, and I wanna read this in the, the, the version that we use, the ESV, but then I wanna read it in a paraphrase because I love this. This is so incredibly humble. It really gives us a picture of where I think the church should be. He says this, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come, pro- uh, excuse me, and when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I think that could be a summation of our days and the life that we're living in, the world we're living in right now. Weakness and fear and much trembling. Look at verse four. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I think verse two is the takeaway verse for us with today's message and different. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what Paul is saying. The message of our lives should be Jesus and Jesus crucified. The message version says it amazingly well in our today's vernacular. It says this, you'll remember friends that when I first came to you to let you in on God's sheer genius, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept in plain 
and simple. I kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he was. Then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. He says, I was unsure about how to go about this and felt totally inadequate. Maybe that's why we speak of other things, because we feel inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power. I love that. He gives credit to God, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. Man, I love that in the message. I love that. That helps so much. Years ago, Cynthia and I were... um, we were on a trip, and I can't remember exactly where we were, but we were on this trip, and we had to had a change in our our car rental situation, and and so I, I told Cynthia I would go deal with it, I go take care of it, and and I had to go visit several different car rental companies, the counters there at the airport. If you remember that, it seems like so ancient ago that we were even there, right? But I went up to um, one car rental company and I, I wanted to change some things and, and I was looking for you know, a cheap, uh, you know, cheap rental, but I was looking for something that we could get because um, it was hard to find a car uh, that particular day. And I walked up to this counter and as soon as I started talking, the two people that were behind the counter, they started arguing with each other. They were going at it and you could tell, you've probably been there before, you could tell that it hadn't just started, right? So that was a little bit of a red flag for me. I thought, wow, this is kind of weird that they're arguing in front of a customer, right? And then all of a sudden the guy turns to me and I said something and he didn't like what I said and he started arguing with me. And while he went back to check something else, I left and I went to another counter. And I remember the thought that I had right then and there. I'm not gonna go with that company. But I made a mental note. I probably won't ever use that company again because all I saw was two people who would be willing to argue in front of a potential customer and then argue with the customer itself. And in that moment, I got turned off to the message and the mission of that company, which I'm sure is a great company. They just had a bad day. Maybe I should give them another chance. But you know what? That's what the world sees, church. When we allow our differences to become divisions, we must be careful with our message. We must be thoughtful with our message. We must be intentional with our message. And we must be about Jesus, the overwhelming and primary message of our lives is Jesus. It's Jesus. And any other message that the world hears, not just once or twice or not just every once in a while, but from an overwhelming standpoint, you know what it does? It breaks, it breaks, and it breaks the church apart. I want the world to see Jesus. I want the world to see him crucified. And my prayer is that it starts with me, that my message, the message of my life is overwhelmingly Jesus and Jesus crucified. I hope that for you is your desire as well. Imagine what we could do in a world of different when we put the stick down 
and we stop saying, I'm right and you're wrong. And we start telling the world just about how Jesus has changed us, about the mission that he was on when he lived this life, when he died for our sins, when he rose again three days later. It's amazing what God could do in and through his church when we decide that we're not gonna be divisive. We decide that we're not gonna stand in our rightness and in our arrogance and in our opinion, but we are gonna allow the message of Jesus to be the overwhelming message of our lives. I hope and I pray that that's your desire as well. Would you pray with me this morning? (sighs) Father, in a world of different, in a world when it is so easy for us to focus on the, the minor things and not the major mission that you put us on, in a world where it is so easy to get sucked into the the disagreements that turn into terrible divisions that we see all around the world. Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would look into my life and that you would show me, Todd Cullen, any way that my message, the message of my life, the overwhelming message of my life distracts or distorts or clouds the message that you told us to be on, and that is, is you, Jesus, and you crucified. God, I pray that you would help each one of us who are part of Hilton Head Island Community Church to take an evaluation, to take stock, and to take a look at what we are communicating. Are we communicating humility and grace and love? Or is the overwhelming message of our lives our opinion, our preferences, what we think is right and judgment. Father, I pray that you would lead us into a different way. Holy Spirit, would you convict us where we need to be convicted? Would you challenge us where we need to be challenged? And Father, then, as, as uh, Paul says, God, I pray that with power, we, as your people, would clearly communicate the message that you've put us on the message that the world has a problem with God and its sin. And Jesus, you came to die for our sins. You rose again three days later to give us the hope of eternal life. May that be the message that is the overwhelming message of our lives. Help us if we need to change that. Help us to do that if we need to alter it. And Father, I pray that the church here in Hilton Head and the church around the world would be stronger and better for it when we do that. Help us, Father, to step down from the mentality of I'm right and you're wrong. And may we extend grace and humility and love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.